two of the very best operators. Marked up in the garage. Wow. This has been coming for a long time. These two do not like each other. There are two parts of the story as always. Red flag, this is a suspended uh, race. And we're often racing for the Parked Up podcast. My name is Grant Rowley and I'm putting a bit of a horse racing theme into the start of this pod because it's Melbourne Cup Day. Down here in Melbourne, we've had an absolute shit of a year and no one can go to the Melbourne Cup. And Tony Delberto, who joins me as always, there's something special about Melbourne Cup Day down here. Yeah, it's just, it's just part of Melbourne. We love going each year. I'm very fortunate that my wife, Stephanie, is involved in some of the celebrations. Uh, the company that she works for look after Lexus at the Melbourne Cup uh, in the birdcage there, and they're a major partner of the event. So she's been working away, even though they're not going to have fans there or public there. Um, they've still built the marquee for, for media. So we're not going this year, Grant but we're going to celebrate in our court. We're going to get dressed up. So we're going to get all our gear on like we would be going to the event and nice. celebrate it with our neighbours. Okay, so you've been to the birdcage and you've experienced what it's like to rub shoulders with the uh, the A-listers. Tell, tell us uh, a little <laughs> bit about what, what's inside that birdcage, just for the mere mortals who uh, you know don't, don't get to experience any of those life's luxuries. <laughs> Uh, there's a lot of alcohol, that is for sure. You literally can't finish one drink and then other drinks being passed to you. Sounds like uh, my sort of place. Uh, yeah, it, it's a lot of fun um, and it does get quite loose as the day goes on. It's it's a big celebration. To be honest, though, there's a lot of people there that I'm not sure who they are and how they got in there. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, it's just a chance for especially Steph to celebrate all the work she's done with uh, a lot of people she works with all the time throughout the year on, on different events and she's lucky enough to get invited and I don't know why I get invited because none of the other husbands get invited either and uh, I've definitely outstayed my welcome a couple of times and probably uh, embarrassed myself but anyhow I don't get that opportunity this year and if I do get a little bit too uh, drunk in the court Steph can just roll me back home into bed quite easily so yes you're gonna save on uber, uber charges this year yeah that, exactly right exactly right so now a lot of fun grant we're we're looking forward to it yep great yeah you, so how do you celebrate it uh well in my 20s i would have actually gone to the race i think i went to maybe five or six of them the very first one that i went to was with yourself you me dear james fleming uh i think we took a little esky along and it was a piping hot day. It was stinking hot. And I got burnt to a crisp. Like my <laughs> skin was melting off my face. It was a, it was an embarrassing sight. I'm sure the um, 10 or 12 drinks didn't really help the cause either. But uh, yeah, look, I grew up in Sydney and uh, we always knew Melbourne Cup was a, was a big thing and work or school would stop uh, during that time. But, you know, there was no public holiday and there was... was you know, it wasn't a um, as big a deal as how much they've embraced it, how much they love it. So it's certainly great to be down here. A little bit different this year, of course. Uh, no fans are allowed in the gate. And as motor racing types, and we'll, we'll start talking about car racing in a moment, but, um, you know, I guess we were all disappointed that only 4,000 fans could go to the Bathurst 1000. But that's a uh, that's a record crowd compared to absolutely zero fans. Like imagine the one thousand with zero fans. It's going to have a an odd atmosphere in Flemington today. Yeah, it certainly will. Um, look, I don't think it's going to take away from the actual race itself. Uh, it does stop the nation, and uh, you know, even when you're at the event and you're celebrating, 
you're not really watching too much of the horse racing, to be honest. We all stop for the for the main race, but um, you know, we've all had to adapt this year in many ways, and uh, the Melbourne Cup's no different. So we're going to celebrate in a different way, and I think you know we'll still enjoy it. Everyone will put a little bet on, and uh, you know, everyone will stop and watch watch the race. So. I'm looking forward to it. I don't really have a winner myself, though. I've, I've, I've been looking at it, but maybe you can help me. Oh, no, no, no. I can't help you. I can't help you because I've got no idea about horse racing. But I did call a couple of blokes who I know absolutely do have an idea. The first one, he's going to give everyone his tip here. Uh, his name is Mark Beretta. He's the number one sportsman at the Seven Network, and he's given us his tip for the Cup. Get on this. Oh, Melbourne Cup, there's nothing like it. 24 starters in the field. For me, I like very elegant. Uh, I saw Chris Waller uh, just before the Golden Eagle on Friday last week, and um, he was talking about this horse, and he had a good feel about it. I reckon at $11, it's about the right place, and uh, he's just on, on a roll at the moment. So um, he goes very well. If I had to pick a, a, a second one, um, for me, is a bit of an outsider and a roughie. Um, Vow and Declare at $51, I think, is uh, it's a it's a Dermot O'Brien. Um, and I reckon that's got a, a reasonable chance here as well. So thanks for that, Barretts. He has tipped very elegant to get the win. And I think he's one of the uh, one of the favourites in the race. So uh, pretty safe, conservative bet there from Barretts. But anyway, if he wins, you can thank Beretta for it. Um, and I also spoke to Race Fuel's own Mark Tini. Race Fuel's obviously our number one supporters here at Parked Up. We love those guys. They are the best. Mark Tierney, the managing director, loves his horse racing. Usually at this time of the year, he'd be first in the gate at Flemington, getting ready for it. And uh, of course, he can't go. He's gutted, but he's given us a tip for the big race as well. My tip for the Melbourne Cup is horse number one, Anthony Van Dyke. It's an Irish horse, and I love the pink silks. Unfortunately, I can't be there this year, and uh, it's gutting for all of us Melbourneites not to be at the spring racing carnival but let's hope we can all go back next year we can go to horse racing tracks and let's go to car racing tracks uh good luck guys for the cup so there we go mark tierney has picked anthony van dyke to take the win in the big melbourne cup and anthony van dyke does not sound like a horse's name to me tony <laughs> no it doesn't really um, i'm not really too sure who i'd believe more there maybe barrett's you know, he's across it all. Maybe he's got some inside knowledge um, with all the people that he mi he mingles with. Oh, I'm not convinced, though. I might have to do a bit of research before this afternoon. Well, everyone turns into a Melbourne Cup horse racing expert um, <laughs> this time of year, particularly about three or four hours before the Cup actually runs. They'll uh, every everyone who's uh, who, who's read um, a form guide for 20 minutes will um, will be able to pass on some very high level judgment on each of the horses. So anyway, I hope uh, all of our listeners and the rest of Australia enjoy everything that the Melbourne Cup brings. It's always a great day. Now, we should probably start talking about uh, some race cars, Tony D. But before we get into that, we've got a brand new race fuels advert. Here it is. Melbourne is emerging from its COVID lockdown. That means the doors to race fuels retail sales are reopened. Come and pick up drums of our renowned racing fuels or bring your own drum for Bowser sales. As always, we can deliver direct to Melbourne Metro. Visit Racefuels at our Dandenong South headquarters or contact us for more details. 
And you can find out more information at racefuels.com.au or visit them directly down here in Dandenong South at Melbourne. Hook you up with all of the go fast juice to jam in your race car. Now, Tony, this episode, we've decided to dedicate to the silly season. We've both been involved in silly seasons in, in different uh, ways and shapes and forms over the years, whether it's been myself as a journalist, whether it's been you as, as a driver, and it's always an exciting time of year. Probably not uh, an exciting time of year if you're like really heavily involved in it. But now that we're both kind of on the outside, we can just um, what commentate, do you mean? commentate and throw stones from, from afar. What do you mean on the outside? We're in the thick of it here, mate. We are <laughs> absolutely in the thick of it. Now, look, I think it's uh, definitely worthy of a chat today because there's so much going on uh, within supercars. Now, we know quite a bit and we'll go through the stuff that we we know is is 100% locked in. But then what we want to try and do is set the scene for everybody because there's a lot of deals going on in the background that for our listeners, you might not know the ins and outs of who brings what sponsorship or what deals going on because of whatever reason. Uh, we're going to try and simplify it as much as we can today and give you a bit of a picture of what's actually happening um, in supercar land and why some of the decisions might get made going into 2021. That's right, Tony. Simple answers from simple people. We are going to, this is, <laughs> this is the dummy's guide to the 2021 supercar silly season all right so before we get into all of that silliness uh let's check in with the news and the news is brought to you by motorsportwebsites.com.au motorsport websites do absolutely everything obviously they'll make your website they'll also make logos and they'll do a whole bunch of other things for your public face on the internet uh, go check them out at motorsportwebsites.com.au. They built the parkedup.com.au website. They can build your website too. Tony, last time we did a pod, just as we'd hung up the phone, Rick Kelly dropped the big old bombshell that he's out, he's gone, he's retired, uh, which was uh, which which I guess hits you as a little bit of a shock, and it was a uh, and honestly a little bit of a shame that that he, he's decided to pull stumps on his career when you know we didn't see him at the at the absolute top of his game or certainly not challenging for podiums or to even top fives you know exactly where where he would have wanted but um you know full credit to him he said he's just decided not nah, doesn't want to do that anymore and uh and out he goes yeah it's an interesting decision that he's made um I'm not exactly sure the reason behind it um, and, and maybe, you know, later down the track, he'll actually open up about why he decided to do that. Um, yeah. I mean, the results haven't been amazing for him. I think this year with the Mustang, he hoped that there would be quite an improvement from the Nissan. Um, it hasn't been, it's still been a bit of a struggle with the development of the car. Um, and, you know, obviously he's not enjoying it. That, that's probably where it comes back to. And he probably doesn't want to just keep going around in circles because, you know, the family owned the team and he could probably do that if he wanted to. He, he wants to get a bit more enjoyment out of his life. And at the moment, racing is not doing it for him. That's the only thing that I can really assume has happened. And uh, he's decided to step back from it. So it will be interesting to see what he does, whether he gets goes into a co-drive within the team, whether he goes into a managerial role, whether he just steps away completely, has a year off, 
is sort of yet to be seen a little bit. I can't see him really working within the team, but I could see him coming back to the team for Enduros, let's say. I mean, there's only one Enduro for next year at Bathurst. So, you know, to have Rick Kelly, who's won the race twice himself, uh, would be you know, a big advantage for a team as a co-driver. So I think he'll probably come back from come back for that race uh, after he's had a few months off and a little bit of time to think about it. Yep, and uh, who replaces Rick is a uh, big question, but we'll get into that uh, a little deeper into the show. So we we did I did actually contact Rick and and uh, spoke to him via text message to ask if he wanted to come on, but since he sort of dropped his bomb uh, on last Monday, he has done zero media. He's just uh, sort of sat back, maybe on the beach, pulled out a. Uh, uh, a little banana lounge or something and he's just uh just chillaxing just uh just distancing himself from from everything so um, i saw that he uh he put his sim up for sale and he's got a, a new restoration project so by the look of that restoration project it's going to take a little while to uh fix that up and get that on the road so he's trying to uh take his mind off probably what's going on in the background and yeah he wants a little bit of privacy which he's fully entitled to there's no way, absolute no shot that he's going to sit on his hands and do nothing. Like he he will he will make banana chairs before he sits in banana chairs. There is no way he'll do he'll do nothing. <laughs> um, okay, so the other big big news that dropped a little later last week was that the Adelaide 500 is gone. It's off. It's done. It's cooked. Mm. Basically, mm. our biggest race that we have after the Bathurst 1000, and some would even argue, well, particularly if you're from Adelaide, you'd argue that that race is even bigger, uh, that the uh, government have decided to stop giving the cash. So lots of different angles to, uh, to, to talk about here. There's been lots of different news that has uh, sort of rolled, rolled out with it. But um, I thought, Tony, before we discuss it, I grabbed Nick Perkett, proud old South Australian, uh, he loves his Adelaide 500. He grew up in Adelaide, uh, and I grabbed him to get his thoughts on the axing of the 500. The Adelaide 500 news, it's, um, for me, massively disappointing. Um, being a South Australian, um, we're very proud of that event, and you know the reason I wanted to be a supercar driver was because Dad took me to the, the Formula 1 back in 88, and I've been to every single event since 88 when it was Formula 1 until... You know, 2020 sitting in a supercar racing it so for me um i think it's a very very big mistake by the current premier um and they're very short-sighted and you know they've they've used um a year where yes the numbers were low but they still had 200,000 people through the gates um half the country was on fire at that point so surely you know there's things that need to be taken into consideration but um first and foremost massively disappointed but the best thing about it is what I've seen now um, throughout, you know, all the social media, the news, all the radio interviews, um, how much this race meant to South Australia and actually the whole country. Um, you know, there's petitions getting around where people are signing to try and save the race. Um, and now we also have Facebook pages with everyone sharing all the information and trying to trying to get the race back on the calendar. So, um that's very encouraging and um, hopefully one day we see the race back because for me, um, we need all the young little race car drivers that are dreaming of being in my position. We need them on the fence there. Um, it's such a big event and it's 
it's way more than a, a purpose-built track. The the atmosphere, the whole city, um, it really sparks a dream, I think, for a young young go-karter or young kid who might get into racing. So I think it's massively important. And then obviously the uh, the revenue it drags into Adelaide through all those hotels and the hospitality scene and um, all the cafes and everything through the city, they, they need that as well. So hopefully we get it back. Um, and we continue on with normal life with um, Adelaide being known as like the motorsport state. And we thank Nick for his time. He obviously loves the Adelaide 500. He loves that event, that that street race, whether it was Grand Prix, whether it was a supercars event, whatever. He absolutely loves it. Now, let me tell you how much he loves it. The South Australian Premier earlier today went on 5AA, which is like Adelaide's you know major talkback radio program. And Nick woke up to some text messages to say that the Premier is on 5AA. So Nick has quickly jumped on his phone and called in 5AA to ask the Premier some questions and absolutely gave him a bit of a grilling. So um, (laughs) that just goes to show how much Nick Perkett and a lot of the motor racing community, drivers, teams, fans, we saw it all over the social medias over the last few days. It, you know, it's an institution. It's been around for 21 years and it's such a shame that effectively now it's gone. It is such a shame. I mean, I, I don't understand all the, the reasoning behind it, but from a driver's point of view, absolutely loved the event, loved the track, loved the atmosphere. It started off the championship in style. And, you know, I, I can't understand why they wouldn't want to have that event in Adelaide okay, maybe not at that time of year. Maybe they want to play around with shifting the date a little bit because I think it's a little bit congested early in the year with events. You know, do that, but don't get rid of the event when it brings in so much income into the state, um, has so much interest. I mean, the spot where the circuit is, you know, people can come and watch the racing, they go and have a meal, they socialise in that area. It's just absolutely massive. Um, It's one of the best events that we have in Australia. There is no doubt about that. And to lose it is, you know, it's shocking, really. I mean, I'm, I am in shock about it. I mean, I'm the type that sees something like that happen and go, oh, okay, well, I can't do anything about it. But the uproar um, from fans, drivers, teams, uh, everybody in, involved um, has been you know, enormous. So hopefully the government, uh, you know, take note of that and actually try and reestablish the event. Yeah, it's a, it's a shame if, uh, if the race comes back and... Uh, any of our listeners haven't been to that event you just have to go you have to go it is as tony said it sits right on the side of the of the city um the 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 public get massively involved in it It it's the event that you have to go to and uh, apologies for anyone who didn't get the chance to go because you might not get not might not now get to go um it uh yeah it it will forever be a um a, uh, a magic thing that, um, yeah, hopefully people can come to their senses and, and we can get back to it. But from a supercar's point of view, to watch one of those cars around the street circuit, bouncing over those curbs, uh, the roar of the engines up against the, the barriers, you know, 25 cars jostling for position between the concrete barriers as well. It's super exciting to be up close uh, to watch that action. And it's sort of like nothing else, really. And I think it really highlights what a V8 supercar is all about. And uh, like I said, to lose that event is going to leave a massive hole in the calendar. Yep. So now up to Supercars to find a, um, you know, another big replacement. So I think that the way the championship is going to start next year will be at 
Mount Panorama for a uh, what will effectively be a sprint race. That's not been confirmed yet, but that seems to be where things are sort of heading for a late February sort of date. Um, but uh, yeah, Adelaide was meant to be at the back end of the year, was probably going to be the last round of the championship. So you're right. It just, there's a huge, a huge hole uh, and I understand the pandemic is is going to bring about some uh, that, that's cost, cost cuttings in 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 street races. You know, we might not see any street races next year. I think it, Townsville might be safe, but you know, Gold Coast is vulnerable. Newcastle's vulnerable. There's uh, you know, there's a lot of a lot of questions. So um, anyway, let's uh, let's let's see where 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 things go, but. Um, the good thing is we've got some reasonable um, permanent tracks ar- around the place. So speaking of permanent tracks, um, something that's close to your heart and mine, the 2021 TCR Australia calendar was revealed to the world. Six round championship, two uh, non-championship rounds to slide in there. It's going to start at Simmons Plains, followed by a, um, an invitational race at Baskerville uh, down there in Hobart as well. Uh, then Phillip Island, Mount Panorama supporting the Bathurst Six Hour, the Sydney Motorsport Park in May, Morgan Park up at Queensland uh, in June, and then finish the season at Sandown in September. The uh, very final race of the year will be the Bathurst International uh, with a date TBA there, likely probably November or December, whatever sort of fits into the local and international uh, calendar. So, Tony, you've been out of your Honda Type R all year. Is it exciting to see a uh, a new fresh calendar for a new fresh year? It absolutely is. You know, there was a little bit of talk about trying to do some racing this year, and I wasn't that keen, to be honest, to try and get going again later this year because, you know, I think it'll sort of jeopardise next year's calendar a little bit and, and next year's championship. But to see, you know the rounds that they've got or the proposed, I think is really sensible. I think a lot of people are going to be able to actually uh, come up with a budget to, to do that. You know, there's a nice spread over the year. And I think it's just what we need after a really tough year this year, just to get the ball rolling again, get things ticking over, get some excitement back in the category. I'm pumped for it. Absolutely pumped. And I know, uh, you know, I'm, I'm just trying to finalize everything now, but as far as I know, everything's going to roll over for next year. And, We'll get going again, just like we did last year with Honda and, and wall racing. So I'm, I'm really excited about that to try and, you know, maybe go one better next year in the championship and, uh, you know, try and win that championship. So I think there's going to be a lot of young guys pushing hard as I think it's, you know, a really good feeder category, uh, but not only TCR, you know, or the S5000, Trans Am, you know, there's, there's a lot of categories there that haven't run this year that I think everyone's excited to see back on track. Yep. Uh, also, with the announcement of the TCR calendar was the Trans Am calendar as well. Now, that actually mirrors the TCR Australia calendar. Wherever TCR races, Trans Am's going to be there as well. And Trans Am's going to feature pretty prominently in these first two events at Simmons Plains and Baskerville Raceway. Um, so that event is, uh, it's th- those two races are very unique. It's been spearheaded a lot by... Gary and Barry Rogers, they've put a lot of time and effort uh, and resource into making that happen. Tickets are actually on sale for those two events. Uh, And I grabbed Barry 
who's played a pivotal role in making this event happen. I grabbed him to, for him to really describe what those two events are about. Look, it's probably no secret that um, Gary particularly is very passionate about Tasmania. You know, he's, he's well into his 70s now, but it's where uh, where his, his family all came from, was uh, actually the north uh, northwestern side of Tasmania. But yeah, Gary spends quite a bit of his time down in Tasmania and he's passionate about about the state you know it's amazing up here he's always talking to people talking people talking people into going down to tasmania uh, when we race down there for the supercars you know the passion of the fans down there you know not dissimilar to, to uh, kiwis new zealanders when it comes to their motor racing they really you know they love their afl footy and they love and they love their motor racing and you know gary raced uh, in tasmania himself back in the days and sort of early 70s down there at baskerville and and uh has supported their historic event down there over the years so keen to get back down to basketball where no major national motorsports happened for for a lot a lot of years and of course simmons plains um is probably you know the more known uh track down in tassie and we sort of were speaking about it and you know one thing led to another and we we're speaking to um, the, the Tasmanian government and, and working out what we could do to sort of have a festival down there over a week and always keen to race there in the summer months. Um, Tassie, you know, no different to us here in Melbourne. The weather can be a bit adverse during the winter months. So to get something down there in January, we sort of thought, right, we'll do a double header. We'll build a Australia Day into it. And uh, so the first event on the Australia Day, which is a Tuesday, will be a Sunday, Monday, Tuesday event, the 24th to 26th of January. And that'll be the opening round of... Um, Australian TCR Championship, uh, the S5000 Championship, the Touring Car Masters Championship and the Australian Trans Am Championship. So it's going to be a big weekend of motorsport opening round of those four major national championships. You know, with some, you know, drivers such as, you know, you know we've got James Moffat that runs for us, Michael Caruso, um, the two Barguana boys, Jason and, and his young son, Benny. Gary likes to call him Jabber Jr. because we always called Bargs Jabber back in the day. So we've got Jabber and Jabber Jr. here. You know, James Golding in an S5000, Tim Macro. You know, there'd be some really big names down there. Nathan Hearn and, and Aaron Seaton in TA2s. John Bow, a local legend down there in a TCM car. Steve Johnson. So some really big names, you know, come down to Tasmania for that first weekend, at, at the first three days at there at uh, Simmons. And... Uh, you know, from there, we're really, as I say, keen to include the southern part of Tasmania, the Hobart and the basketball track, an iconic little track, fantastic for spectators, an amphitheatre-type setup where the track's just over two kilometres long but built sort of in a, in a bit of a um, valley, I suppose, and the cars can park around the outside and get a great view. And, look, the S5000s, unfortunately, couldn't get down there because uh, the track isn't up, you know, not enough runoff and things for that sort of high-powered machines. But uh, we'll be, it'll be a big Trans Am weekend down there. We, we, we're going to reinvigorate the the um, Tasmanian 10,000 and there'll be uh, $30,000 of prize money down there for the Trans Am boys. They'll, they'll have a uh, build to a big, big Sunday afternoon event. There'll be, you know, qualifying races through Saturday and, and early Sunday and a big, big final on Sunday afternoon that'll be worth 10,000 to the event, $30,000 overall. So, um, you know, some, some good prize money for them. Unfortunately, $10,000 today isn't probably as much as it was, well, certainly isn't as much as it was in the uh, 70s when they had the Tasmanian 10,000, but I think, you know, it's a good, good, good incentive and it'll be a great event down there for the, for the Trans Ams. Um, there'll be some uh, some TCR racing down there too and the little TCR cars, there won't be a championship round, but there'll be um, some um, 
uh, six races over the weekend and the little TCR cars around that track will be a bit like probably watching Gary racing his escort back in the 70s. So uh, that'll be good to see. And um, and we'll be taking a couple of S5000s down there just to, to show the fans the cars and give them a you know demonstration run around there. They won't be racing, but they'll certainly be having a bit of a crack around the track. You know, we've had a little look in the background of the basketball track record and I think uh, it might be a Benetton Formula One car that has it. Has it. So we'll, we'll see how we go. We might have a bit of a crack at that over the weekend. So something for the fans to see. So really looking forward to it, Grant. It'll be really good. We thank Baz for his time. There you go, Tony. Ten grand on the line at the Invitational Trans Am race down in Baskerville. Will you compete in a Trans Am car and try and pick yourself up some cash? Short answer is probably no. Oh. Um. <laughs> you love cash, though. That's your boat. I do love cash, but uh, for me to do the Trans Am race, uh, it will probably involve cash. And probably more than ten thousand. So, uh, look, I'd love to do it, but um, look, you know, really appreciative of what Gary and Barry are, are trying to establish. I mean, they're always pushing to get get racing and go racing. They understand how important it is for Australian motorsport. Um, and without those guys behind the scenes pushing, uh, this championship would not be up and running again so early in the year. So, I love the idea of going to Tassie early in the year. I think it's going to be a real spectacle, and I know everybody's just excited to get racing again. Oh yeah, yep, definitely excited to uh, to see all of those ARG categories back out and about. The S5000 and the Touring Car Masters categories haven't confirmed their calendars yet, but I would expect that uh, it won't be too long before we start seeing those locked in as well and uh, the uh, the full picture of what 2021 is going to look like. And of course, we're waiting for Supercars to put out their calendar as well, but um, I guess they've kind of been slide tackled a little bit by the uh, South Australian government and then pulling the pin on the Adelaide street race. Um, okay. We should quickly, before we get into silly season stuff, Tony D, we should quickly cover off uh, the formula one race and return to Imola for uh, a real traditional, real old school circuit. And uh, there, there was a lot of fears um, with this race that it was going to be uh, a bit of a bore. Um, the last time formula one cars competed there, there was only 10 genuine uh, passes made during a race and that included the um, shuffling off the grid I think the circuit was built uh, you know 100,000 years ago and it wasn't built for modern Formula One cars so you know it doesn't lend itself too well to uh, for passing but the race did produce some some really fun entertaining little bits yeah it was a really good race um, I agree there wasn't a huge amount of passing going on a little bit at the end there where other guys had better tires on and uh, it looked quite cold there. So I think some guys were struggling to get temp in their tyres. And the DRS zone was a little bit short. I feel as though, and the commentators are saying as well, and I agree, they needed to start the DRS zone earlier coming onto the front straight because by the time the uh, car behind actually caught up, it was too late. And the braking zone is quite short into turn one there. Uh, but old school circuit, all the drivers are raving about it. Poor old uh, Monza, you know, it's known as the best Italian circuit. And, uh, you know, Imola is definitely right up there. And I think a lot of drivers were rating it in their top five tracks in the world. So, you know, that, that's a big endorsement for a circuit that doesn't get used a lot. And uh, I know Max Verstappen was talking about how he thought the circuit would be too narrow for a Formula One car. Um, but once he got out on circuit, he, he said it wasn't and uh, he thoroughly enjoyed it. So, um, I thought Bottas was going to be able to take the win, but unfortunately got a little bit of damage from some uh, debris during the race and uh, sort of handed the, the race to Lewis there. So uh, Mercedes-Benz actually took their seventh 
manufacturer's title in a row, which is just crazy. But you know, we sort of expected that. Um, and Lewis Hamilton notched up another win. So, you know, that guy's just on fire. He's obviously going to try. He's obviously going to win the championship. There's not yeah. really anybody that's close to him. Um, but Danny Rick, Danny yeah. Rick got another podium, which is just awesome. You know, considering the car that he's in, yeah, they are getting better, the Renault, uh, but it's certainly not a podium car just yet. So um, I always sort of worry a little bit because, you know, Danny Rick, he's signed to go to McLaren next year. McLaren seemed to be going further down the grid the wrong way. And Danny Rick's going forward with the Renault. So just as the Renault is getting good, Alonso will jump in and take the glory and, and Danny Rick will start the development again in the McLaren. So um, interesting race though. Um, I felt sorry there for George Russell right at the end who spun uh, under safety car on cold tires and, and cleaned up his car. I mean, that's just an embarrassing moment for any driver Isn't under it? safety car to spin, but you know, believe me in one of those things on, you know, cold tires, bumpy circuit, I reckon it'd be bloody easy to do. So yeah, he got some kind words from Lewis Hamilton on social media, just reassuring him that, you know, everyone's made mistakes and, you know, he, he'll uh, improve after that and, uh, you know, learn lots from it. So it was quite an entertaining race, to be honest. And, uh, you know, one, if you haven't watched it just yet, rewind it and check it out. Yep. Yeah, definitely. It was uh, it was a pretty good motor race, certainly better than what we expected. All right, that's it. Let's let's start talking about some silly seasons. It is the best time of the of any major motorsport season, and uh, we are absolutely in the thick of it here, particularly for supercars. And it might even have some implications for uh, other categories, in particular the TCR Australia series as well. So uh, we'll run through a bit of team by team stuff. Before we get into it, I thought I'd talk to one of the uh, news journos or, or people in the, the motorsport news just to kind of set the scene a little bit for us. So I spoke to Bruce Williams. He's the publisher at Auto Action. Of course, you can buy Auto Action fortnightly from your local news agent or your 7-Eleven. 7-Eleven is where I pick mine up. $1 coffee. As you, as you know, Tony, I love my $1 coffee. They're, uh, they're nice and easy. The taste is consistent. I know that all of your Italian heritage would get very upset at my $1 coffee, but it does the trick. And every fortnight, they've also got auto action there that I can pick up. They've broken a lot of stories. So I grabbed Bruce uh, and got him to sort of set the scene for us about where the silly season currently sits and what you'll be able to find in the upcoming issue of Auto Action, which will be out this Thursday. Um, yeah, it's been a crazy time, Grant. And um, it's kept us busy here at Auto Action HQ. We've been breaking quite a few of the stories and... Uh, yeah, it's been a silly season. I mean, it's really been kicked off with Scotty McLaughlin heading overseas to race IndyCars. And now that um, Penske's left as well, we've got Fabian Coulthard out at Dick Johnson Racing. So there's two seats up for grabs there. We all th- think we know who those two drivers are going to be. There's some conjecture at what's going to happen at Tickford. There's uh, a lot going on down at Erebus. And in fact, in this issue, Fogues has spoken to Betty um specifically about what's going on with Dave Reynolds and uh, and Anton. So, yeah, there is a lot going on. Um, it's it's a really busy time. There's also a lot else going on in, the, in auto action this week too. We've spoken exclusively to Oscar Piastri after he tested his, uh, at his first Formula One test, which is pretty exciting. And uh, the kid was pretty tired when we spoke to him early the next morning. But, um, 
that's a great chat and we've got some nice photos. Um, and one of the other great features, Bruce Newton's put out a substantial questionnaire to a lot of the team managers and the major players about some of the 10, quest- the ten unanswered questions following Bathurst. So that's uh, brought up some interesting commentary from a few of the key people uh, involved in the race as to why some decisions were made and others weren't. So it's a big issue. And, uh, yeah, there is a lot going on in the silly season, that's for sure. So there we go. Sounds like there's going to be lots for you to tuck into in your fortnightly news fix, your paper news fix. Uh, the old printed uh, printed version, it's still got its place in the Australian motorsport world, Tony. Okay, here we go. Silly season. I think we should just start with the teams that we know there's going to be no change. And there's three of those. Triple Eight, Team 18. <laughs> And Walkinshaws, three Holden teams, absolutely no driver changes amongst either of those three two-car teams. That That is, I'm sure, a huge advantage for them. Yeah, I mean, it is. Continuity and stability is key, I think, for any race team. Um, but that's all. That's what we you know, has been confirmed just yet. And I think, I think there's a lot of other teams that actually won't do make any changes but they haven't quite announced it just yet so i think it's worth going through almost team by team and we can tell you know you what we know what we've heard you know it's not gospel okay so don't hold us to it no one ringers no one no one give us a thrashing about it but this is what we've heard and and we'll give you the reasons behind it we're not saying anything good if no one's calling us after and uh, getting upset about it. That's what I've learned out of these years. All right. Well, then let's talk about BJR first, the old uh, Albury-based team. They look like one of the teams that won't have much change and, as as far as we understand, might not have any change at all. They had four cars this year for Nick Perkett, Todd Hazelwood, Jack Smith, and Macaulay Jones. Now, there's a fair chance there will be absolutely zero changes there. So I think um, the, the the one wreck, the, the wreck change, the racing entitlements contract, uh, there will be a change. Uh, so as, as we understand, and I, and I don't believe that this has been publicly confirmed, but obviously uh, Phil Monday had his uh, Milwaukee Racing wreck, which was at Tickford this, um, this year. And when the pandemic hit, Phil pulled out, it put Will Davison on the sideline and uh, Boost and James Courtney came in to kind of rescue that wreck to make sure that it didn't go uh, onto the onto the supercars uh, cupboard and uh, get, get tucked get away. Get parked and up. Get parked, parked up. up. That's right. You got it. Excellent dropping of our, of our name there. Well done. Um, so... As we understand it, uh, BJR has has bought that wreck from Phil and will use it at BJR next year because Tim Blanchard is going to take his wreck, which he owns, which uh, Macaulay Jones has been using with the cool drive backing, and, and Timmy Blanchard is going to go set up his own small one-car operation. Again, none of that has actually been locked in, but uh, as we sort of sit on the sidelines and then all of that stuff has been well, well documented um, in, in the past, uh, that that's, that's how that will go. So BJR get to remain at four cars and it looks like BJR will also retain Macaulay, retain Jack Smith, Nick Perkett's there on a longer term deal and it was just confirmed recently that Todd Hazelwood will be there 
as well. How do you see those four stacking up for 2021? Well, I think, uh, you know, for Macaulay and Jack Smith, you know, they're still learning the ropes. Uh, Macaulay's had a bit more experience than Jack, but, you know, they showed a few uh, glimpses during the year. Hazelwood did as well with a pole position at Townsville uh, and and a podium at Sydney Motorsport Park as well. But, you know, Nick Perkett for me is a clear leader in that team. He's always in the top sort of six to eight cars, no matter what happens, where he goes. So, uh, you know, the cars, I think, this year have been quite speedy. You know, uh, Todd, McCauley and Jack have really got a good leader in Nick and they need to, you know, learn from him and try and bridge that gap um, so we can see the BJR cars a little bit closer to the front and and a little bit more consistent. So although Blanchard has taken his license uh, and bought the new one from Tickford and Phil Monday, uh, with Brad Jones buying the Tickford one, you know, it really makes no difference to that team. But it does leave a little bit of a question mark over Tickford. Now, uh, if you take that license away, they go back to three cars. They've got four drivers and there might, there might be some uh, big conversations to be had amongst the drivers. Now, James Courtney has been confirmed. Cameron Waters has been confirmed. Jack LeBrock with the super cheap car, super cheap is going and we're hearing they're going to triple eight yep and lee holdsworth with the truck assist car has not been confirmed just yet but for a lot of our listeners they wouldn't know jack lebrock actually brought truck assist sponsorship or the sponsor to the team and it was placed on lee holdsworth's car for this year um so potentially if super cheap are gone Truck assist may, and I'm saying may, I don't know this for sure, but if you sort of, you know, do the math and do the logic, you know, you'd think that truck assist would go across to Jack's car. Where does that leave Lee? We're, we're not too sure yet, unless Tickford can get another license from somewhere else. Yeah, so I guess it's the ideal situation for supercars. This is what they want. They want more demand to get into the field, which which only increases the value of the wrecks. So... Yeah, the, the days of uh, Rex being handed over for, um, you know, seven-figure sums, they're, I think they're pretty gone. But, you know, a, a team as uh, established and as influential as Tickford may have the ability to yeah, drag one of those old wrecks off the shelf, off the supercar shelf, and, and bring it back in. But I guess that, that will be... Wouldn't that be good, though, Grant? Wouldn't that be good for once? We're expanding the field rather than you know, decreasing and getting rid of licenses and, and yeah. making everything smaller. You know, as, as Tickford has always been, you know, a four-car operation, it makes sense for them to try and find another license to run as a four-car team rather than three. Running three cars are still going to take the truck, the second truck, to transport that car and equipment, and it's only half full. So, you know, when you look at some of the costs involved in that, it, it doesn't stack up. Yep. The only thing, though, Grant, will be Blanchard, He's going to run a single car operation mm-hmm. and I'm hearing that he will run under the Tickford boom uh, with under with James Courtney, uh, partner up with those guys. So yep. when they go to the circuit, they're still going to have effectively a four car operation. It will just mean at the workshop, they've only got three cars to service. Yeah. And uh, what a shame for Lee Holdsworth if that is the case, because it, well, we're not him. sure yet. We're no, not sure but yet. And I don't Lee's, want to make, uh, Lee's the one vulnerable though. Lee's the one potentially, vulnerable. potentially. I mean, that truck assist might say, right, I we're happy with him. And uh, you know, Jack needs to find another sponsor or another opportunity. We don't know just yet. 
Yeah, but well, they're the facts. It would be uh, it, it would be odd that the guy who was fastest in provisional qualifying at Mount Panorama ends up with um, with no drive. And uh, Lee has been uh, like he's a good friend of both of ours. Uh, had a pretty tough time in in teams gone by, and um, was given that lifeline by Tickford, and uh, absolutely took it with both hands. And uh, yeah, it's a little bit of a shame that uh, that that might be left on the sideline. But uh, geez, he'll uh, certainly find uh, an easy co-drive there alongside uh, the likes of Cam Waters or or mm. even James Courtney, um, if that is is required. So uh, I mean, I think I think that would be logical. I mean, if he's got a Tickford contract or a deal in place, um, you know, to stay on as a co-driver next year. Um, Cam Waters obviously looking for a co-driver with Will Davison looking like he's going to go to DJR. Um, so he's moving out of Tickford and it leaves that spot open for a co-driver with Cam Waters. And those guys are obviously similar height. You know, Lee knows the car back to front, so it'd be perfect fit there. Cool. There we go. Still a little bit of water to go under the Tickford bridge. DJR, the team that you've spent the last uh, five or six years with, uh, as we discussed in the last pod, you know, huge changes there with, with Penske uh, leaving the organisation, Scott McLaughlin confirmed that he'll go over and race some IndyCars for the next few years, which is an awesome opportunity. So, yeah, two new drivers to slot in as well, Conf- uh, and it's been confirmed that um, your mate, Fabian Coulthard, is uh, is on the way out as well. So, yeah, well documented that uh, Anton Di Pasquale and Will Davison will be driving the number 12 and number 17 cars. Uh, so again, we go through a season where, where there's no number one. We haven't seen a number one in the field for, uh, for quite some time. It was, um, uh, it'd have to go back to when Jamie Winkup was um, mm-hmm. the series champion uh, three or four years ago that uh, the number one was actually in the field. So with, uh, so Dick's team looks looks pretty set there. I, I know that you're thinking, no way, they're not set. We need to find out who's been the, the co-drivers, but we'll leave okay. the co-driver chat for a uh, for, for another time. So let's talk about the Kellys. Rick Kelly, of course, uh, as we said earlier, has decided to hang up the full-time helmet. I reckon he'll come back as an endurance driver, but that's a big question mark. Uh, who replaces Rick to partner Andre Heimgartner, who's an absolute lock in the uh, number seven Ford Mustang. This is a big question, potentially a really, really good seat as well. Mm. Um, the the Kellys need to find a lot more consistency in the speed of their cars and, 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 and extracting that speed. We, we saw Andre, you know, he took a podium in one of those races at the bend at the back half of the year. The, the, the cars can do it, but, you know, some big questions about, about who goes there and there's one guy's name who keeps popping up for this seat and it's someone who still has nine years left on a deal (laughs) with Erebus of course uh, David Reynolds and the Erebus team you know has kind of been talked a little bit about in the media about the relationship may have uh, may have broken down I know that uh, for sure Betty Clemenko team owner would want them to stay on but it looks like the the relationship has um, has broken down between 
David Reynolds and uh, and and the Erebus team there. So um, it wouldn't be the first time that Dave Reynolds has raced at the Kellys. He he raced a Stratco Commodore back there in his in his earlier days. I think he only did one season with the with the Kellys. Got a got a couple of reasonable results. Nothing um, nothing that he should get too excited about. But uh, it could be a little bit of a homecoming for him. What are you hearing? I'm hearing there's uh, a lot of drivers trying to go for that seat. You know, you spoke about Fabian Coulthard looking for a, for a full-time seat. Uh, you know, maybe Lee, uh, but David, his name keeps popping up probably more than anybody. What I think what it will depend on is what Castrol decide to do, whether they decide to stay on board at Kelly's or uh, if there is an opening there for a driver to come in and, and potentially bring some sponsorship to that seat. But if Castrol stay on and the Kellys get to choose their ideal man, you know, they're really going to look for one of the top drivers, whether that be someone like Dave Reynolds or Fabian or Lee uh, or a Slady or, you know, whoever's on the market there. Um, there's quite a few drivers trying to go for that seat, but it will just depend on on the money side of things, I think, and, and what the team can come up with or retain from this year. So I think it can be a really good seat. You know, I, I think the Kelly's put a lot into it. Andre's done has done a bloody good job at times. There's no doubt about that. And uh, you know, you got to remember it was their first year with the Mustang. They're building engines. They're trying to improve all that. They're trying to do a lot of development in a very short space of time. And they've done it on the road this year as well. And I think that's been really tough. So, you know, I think this is a good opportunity for any driver, any full-time driver that's uh, looking for an opportunity. It would just it will depend on uh, if Kelly's can retain Castrol and whether they can pick and choose the driver they want, or if they've got to try and take somebody with some budget to help run the car. Yeah, lots of uh, lots of questions. I really hope the Kellys go with a a you know a number one a number one replacement, not not a kid who's um, you know has the advantage of bringing some cash to uh, to help make it happen. I'd really like to see an established person go in there. It's what Andre Heimgartner needs to keep pushing him forward. We've seen Andre's got the speed to do it. Andre Heimgartner has the uh, a Van Gears-esque uh, speed. Consistency may uh, not quite be as good as what we've seen in Van Gears, but Van Gears is like super polished these days. And I think Andre will, with with one or two more seasons under his belt, um, really push towards there. But he's still going to need a co a, a, a team driver to push him week in, week out. So, uh, yeah, that's um, that for me would be an ideal world in Kelly Land. Um, okay, so uh, we should uh, just mention uh, Blanchard's uh, new team in here as well. So as we understand it, none, none of this has been confirmed, but um, he'll take the wreck that he owns from BJR. He'll have a customer deal. I can only assume with Tickford and run the car himself. But as you said, if, if Tickford don't expand back to four cars, then, then share a boom at the circuit with Tickford. And that kind of makes a little bit of sense as well, because they're using a lot of the, um, or exactly the same equipment across the board. Um, Tim Slade heavily, heavily uh, linked to that seat. You've run single car supercars teams as well. It, it might be a little bit easier maybe than what it was 10 years ago when the old TDR was getting about, but um, it's still a, uh, it's, it's, a, it's a hard task. No doubt about it. And uh, 
you know, I applaud the Blanchards for trying to take on the challenge of running their own supercar team. But, you know, when you're a customer, you always think that the team can do a better job and uh, you sort of sit in the sidelines and critique them. But when you're running the show, it's uh, it's not an easy task. And, and there's a lot of teams that live and breathe it. You know, they've got massive uh, amount of people behind the scenes trying to get a result on circuit. And uh, when you're a single car operation, it is hard work. And, and from what I'm hearing, you know, they're going to have a very small crew. And, you know, I, I can't see how they, they will be able to, you know, compete at that top end of town week in, week out. I mean, I think it's still going to be a reasonable seat to have. And for someone like Slady that's trying to get back in the championship, you know, I think it'll be fairly well funded. It won't be the richest team in town, but I think they won't they won't have any shortcuts with equipment or anything like that. The Blanchards have been around long enough and, you know, they're very successful in business and um, they know, they know how to go about it, but uh, you've got to have the equipment and you've got to have the personnel, the engineer, uh, it's all got to work and uh, it's going to be a big old task for them. Yeah, it will be a big task. I think even uh, the guys at the top end of town, like the Triple Eights and the DJRs know that it's a big task, but i tell you what I like about it is that, uh, the Blanchards are getting in at a very, very good time, not for 2021, but for 2022. Because I think if these new generation of cars are pretty simple, pretty easy, easier, cheaper to put together, then we might see more of these one car uh, or smaller outfits uh, pop up like this. So um, I think it uh, it could be a bold move for 2021, but um, I think the Blanchards have got um, a little bit of extra vision. Uh, you know, they've got a long-term goal in mind. So, um, and they've got the right driver to do it as well. They've got the right driver to do it. But, you know, considering they've had to buy a car and equipment for one year and then reestablish themselves for the following year when the new car comes in, to me, that's a massive expense that, probably could have waited a year you know they could have still put tim slade in the car at bjr but anyway that's their decision and uh good luck to them okay there we go now there's only three teams left for us to talk about and they're the ones with the biggest fattest question marks um that are going on so erebus is for me two years ago were the the cool kids on the block they were the ones who were knocking on the door of the big outfits they had fantastic morale uh in in the squad and and you know during the the start of the pandemic when they rolled out the um the the inside story or what you know whatever it was called about the in in the bunker of the Erebus motorsport camp you could you could kind of you were riding the waves with them and it looked like the team that you wanted to be a part of it would look like the team that you wanted to really support something happened this year and it went downhill pretty rapidly and uh, that those results just weren't weren't there for them so much so now that um, that you know the talk is that David Reynolds might be on the way out we know that Will Brown is going to be there there we we definitely know that Anton Di Pasquale is is leaving. I shouldn't say we definitely know because it hasn't been confirmed yet, but um, it's more than likely the case that he'll be off to DJR. So yeah, Will Brown is, is, uh, is locked in. Brody Kostecki, if, if Reynolds decides to go, um, it's a nice youthful lineup if, mm. if that is the case, but 
it's uh, certainly a shadow of what it was, you know, just two years ago where they were, where they were really knocking on the door of being a, a leading contender. And now they'll effectively, if, if, if the Brown Kostecki thing happens, they, they sort of reset a lot of stuff and um, they're, they're, uh, they've got a, a rookie lineup. Yeah. I mean, it's, it is disappointing to hear about all this stuff. And, and like we keep saying, this is, this is what we're hearing. You know, Barry Ryan has sort of slammed some of these accusations that, you know, there's any problems in house, you know, we're working through it. There's no dramas, but from the outside, it doesn't look like it's a happy camp. Um, we're hearing a lot of rumors that David isn't happy. And I think just, you know, in, in the results, you can see that things aren't quite clicking and working. And I totally agree. Two years ago, this was a team that, you know, a lot of drivers would have loved to have been part of. And at the moment, it just doesn't seem to be quite working. Maybe they need a youthful lineup just to shake things up and to, you know, restart the team a little bit. Some fresh ideas maybe to, to try and get the team, you know, launching again because, uh, yeah, they just haven't quite performed this back half of the year. And um, the rumours around Reynolds moving and looking for a new home are just so strong that, you know, as I said in the last episode, where there's smoke, there's, there's often fire. So, I'm sure there's a lot of things happening in the background and Barry Ryan did come out and say in the media that he's waiting to see what Anton and David are up to next year before he makes a decision um, on driver lineup for 2021. I have heard the Brody Kostecki rumor. It makes sense. You know, you can probably bring a little bit of backing to help the team as well. Um, he's a good young driver. We saw him muscle uh, with uh, Jamie Winkup at the Bathurst 1000, so he's not scared. He's part he of the muscled everyone. He muscled driving. everyone at, <laughs> yeah. uh, at uh, Griffin's Bend. It was sponsored by uh, Penrite, and uh, that that was that was his corner. He wasn't typically ever on the uh, the, the best end of it, but it was awesome to see uh, some like he just didn't give he didn't give an inch there. They were struggling a little bit on with engine, but. Um, yeah, no, no. Uh, he uh, he definitely made his mark there, showing he wasn't about to roll over for anyone. No, and I think uh, that's probably it's probably good to set that scene early on in your career. Uh, I know Van Giz and a few of those boys used to do a lot of that. Um, probably, you know, bumping into people more than what they do these days. But you certainly learnt that not to mess with those drivers. And I think Brody's trying to establish himself like that as well. But, you know, having two young drivers in the championship, first year drivers in, in like full time in supercars, I think is going to be quite tough for the team. And, uh, you know, if David goes, uh, you know, maybe Alistair will go with him as well. We, we just don't know just yet, but I think the team will suffer slightly from not having a leader like a Reynolds um, and a top line, uh, very experienced driver within the team to steer the ship, so to speak. Anton was getting there. There's no doubt about that, but looks like he's now been poached by DJR and and he's going to be off as well. So it could be a very different lineup for Erebus and uh, soon soon uh, we'll see and time will tell. There we go. Uh, now, the other question about uh, Erebus or in particular, Will Brown. So he, he goes in uh, that to, to be in that uh, lead supercars driver role. Does he continue with his TCR Australia campaign. Now he's, he hasn't been able to 100% confirm that because I, I believe that, you know, he needed uh, Barry Ryan. He needs Betty to, to tick that off. I think they were all open 
to to hear about other driving that he wants to do. We've seen Will Brown drive just about every car that's uh, that's ever had four wheels put on it. Um, you know, for a 22 year old, he um, he's certainly driven a lot of things. But will Erebus allow him to compete in another? Uh, national series that uh, what's what's run at a pretty high level that remains to be seen would you uh how do, how do you think you'd go uh, you know backing up and doing two major championships like that look I, I think with his first year in the championship he should concentrate on doing that but you know we saw Andre Heimgartner do that uh last year in TCR uh, he did the main championship in supercars and TCR it's a lot of racing but for a young bloke um and and you know Will's not new to TCR either. He knows the cars very well. So it's only uh, a small amount of rounds. I, I don't think it would affect his uh, main drive in supercars with Erebus at all. Um, if anything, it would keep him sharp during those sort of uh, weekends off. I'm not sure how the calendar sits just yet because obviously we don't know exactly the supercar rounds, but I doubt there's going to be any conflicts um, of rounds there. So I'd definitely welcome the reigning TCR champion uh, to come back in 2021 and, and give the championship a red hot crack with HMO. They're uh, one of the best teams in TCR. And, you know, if you get the opportunity or if he has the opportunity, then why not? Okay. Only a couple of teams to go here. Tony D team Sydney. Um, mm-hmm. So I guess it was a, yeah, a real clunky start to their season this year. You know, we saw James Courtney start with them. He only did one event. Uh, pulled out before the Grand Prix even started uh, two weeks two weeks later or whatever it was. And and Alex Davison got drafted in. Alex and Chris Pither more often than not were sort of seen down the back. But as this season progressed, Alex Davison was, he was chipping away and he was, uh, he wasn't qualifying always at the back. He was, uh, you know, sometimes qualifying, making it through to that second stage of qualifying. And then I think he, um, you know, the, the, the best uh, speed we saw from certainly from Alex was uh, at Mount Panorama where he was, I think 15th or he qualified somewhere, somewhere like that. So I thought that was a pretty good effort and it showed that, that they were making, they were making steps and it was a a new techno or team Sydney as it's known now um, was, was starting to emerge. Both those seats have question marks over it and they would um, and no disrespect to Alex, because I'd like it, it'd be good to see Alex, um, you know, have another crack at it, because I think he's kind of helped stabilise that team in a lot of ways. But they would benefit so badly, so desperately from uh, someone with a lot of experience as well, and um, you know, just really riching up the the back end of that uh, back end of that field. Do you agree? Absolutely agree, and it sort of comes back to what I was trying to get across with Blanchard entry of how difficult it is to run your own team. Even when you purchase equipment uh, from triple eight and you've got good equipment under your, under your bum, uh, but running the car is just a different uh, ball game. So they've, they've, you know, changed premises this year. They've changed the whole look of the team. They've expanded the team. It's, it's been a big year for them. But I agree, you know, having an established driver, um, a real top runner, and that's nothing against Alex, but it's it's more um, to do with somebody that's just come out, out of a big team and they know what the car should feel like. They know what those big teams are doing to the cars to try and get the speed out of them, I think would be a big advantage for um, Team Sydney. Look, I, I think uh, Alex did a really good job. Um, he was definitely seemed to qualify 
a little bit better than uh, Pitha. But Pitha had a couple of strong races. So if you look at over the season, it almost looks like Chris um, had a better year, but he just had a couple of stronger races when they had the sort of mixed tyre uh, rounds. So they'd sort of put all their eggs in one basket, get a result on a Saturday, and then you, you probably wouldn't see them on the Sunday. But yeah, they, they chipped away all year. They did improve. Uh, but to try and get to the next level, you know, perhaps they need to, uh, you know, employ a top line driver to try and get some of that information out of them and, and give them some direction on car setup and where they need to focus their energy. Yeah. So just looking through the list of drivers who, uh, you know, don't have an official home for 2021 at the that top we of know that of <laughs> that. Yeah, that's right. Uh, at the top of that list is Fabian Coulthard. He'd be, he'd be a great fit there and would tick all of those boxes that, that we spoke about there, you know, maybe is it a home for, for uh, Reynolds if, if he couldn't get a deal with Kelly's and definitely leaving Erebus. Um, but then after that, you know, it becomes the, the Thomas Randall's um, yeah. and, and uh, James Goldings, you know, those type of uh, type of guys who, mm. who would relish an opportunity to have a full-time seat, but yeah, sort of, uh, I guess, you know, start that full-time world, uh, not with the pressure of being launched into a uh, into a Tickford or into a Walkinshaw or into a um, a Triple Eight. Yeah, I mean, for a young guy like a Randall or a Golding, Golding's had quite a few years in the championship anyway, um, and they've got experience with the Commodore as well. That's where I think uh, someone like Reynolds would be quite handy for Team Sydney. Uh, not that there's a huge amount of difference between the two cars, but you know they do have their own little setup quirks. So. Um, you know, for Thomas, who was just confirmed in the week there of winning the uh, Super 2 Championship, uh, which is a great uh, achievement, it's time for him to move up. It's time for him to find a seat in the main game, but it's obviously just not that easy to, uh, to do that. But I think, uh, you know, jumping into a seat like Team Sydney would give him that sort of no pressure uh, opportunity to learn the championship a little bit and establish himself before he... Um, got the opportunity in uh, a front-running team. So, but you know, generally, you'll have to bring some finances to the table to try and make that happen. Unless Coca-Cola and local legends uh, hang around and, and there's enough money there to to pay a driver to uh, do the job. Is what a combo! Seen, so. What a combo as well. Local <laughs> bit of beef jerky and some Coca-Cola. The only other way that this could be awesome is if they chuck a bit of bourbon or uh, Jack Daniels in there Jim as Bain. well. It's an absolute, <laughs> it's an absolute Saturday night treat. Absolutely. Got some nice little sponsors there, but yeah, I think there's probably going to be a little bit of change there. I think, um, and, and generally a seat like that doesn't get confirmed early. It's, it's generally <laughs> sort of like last minute deal. Uh, and that's what we saw last year. I think uh, Chris Pither, at the start of this year, literally rolling out at the test day, um, Tail and Bend was confirmed in the morning that he was driving the car and it was all so late. And I struggle to see how a team and a driver combo is going to work if they don't get him in early and start preparing them for the new year. You know, just to chuck a driver in a week before the race, just you're never going to get a result. You're never, ever going to compete with, you know, a Jamie Winkup or, you know, a... I was going to say Scott McLaughlin, but he's not there anymore. Uh, Shane Van Gisbergen or you know, one of those top guys when you only just learnt you got the seat last week. Well, they're definitely all, whoever drives it, definitely going to outscore uh, Scott McLaughlin um, 
Uh, look, the last team that we need to talk about is Matt Stone Racing. Of course, they ran the uh, Super Light program, uh, which was a shared drive between Jake Kostecki and Zane Goddard. Again, they've got question marks all over them with no one really confirmed. Do they stick with that shared drive program? Does, does Zane and, and Jake uh, split up now and get their own full-time seat? <laughs> of course, it um, takes a little bit of budget. And let's not forget about Gary Jacobson as well, who had a couple of uh, okay results, I guess. Certainly uh, a big improvement on where he was with Kelly Racing you know, 12 months ago. So there's uh, a couple of available seats there. I don't think I'd even heard that they might even expand to three cars as well. And again, like who knows where Rex or whatever are coming through. The mm. reason why I bring up that is that it shows that Matt Stone and his team, uh, are they're in here for the long haul. They want to be an established part of the championship and they're going to, uh, you know, I, I don't know, are they ready to take on a, a big name driver and pay the big bucks? Do they have the commercial power do they have the commercial department that can get that done it might be a little mm. bit too early for them yeah it might be it's really tough for you know a relatively new t- new team to the championship it's the old chicken the egg scenario you know they're trying to establish a team they need at the moment they need some budget to try and get the experience uh get the runs on the board so they're having to be creative uh come up with these different concepts like the super light concept there but ultimately, like that concept isn't going to get them results during the year. Having a driver in and out of the of the car during the year, and there's no real consistency. So, um, ideally, I, they would love to have a top line driver in the field. But you know, unless they've got somebody bankrolling it in the background or or a big sponsor they can attract to to come on board, um, how do you fund it? You know, it, it's really really tr- a tricky scenario. And uh, I have no doubt that Matt Stone Racing has um, some of the the real knowledge and uh, expertise to, to be able to engineer a car and uh, to be able to, you know, compete up the front. They, they do prove it quite a bit during the year. They'll pop up with results. They'll pop up with a qualifying result or practice or something. And like you said, Gary Jacobson hasn't been consistent this year, but he has had some fairly strong results and same with, you know, Todd Hazelwood the year before. So they, they can definitely do it, but I think, you know, for the next step for them, they do need to get an established driver uh, just to eliminate that side of things, like at the moment, they'd sort of be questioning whether, oh, is it the car? Is it the driver didn't quite get the most out of it? You know, is it the team? If they they um, get a driver they know can do the job, whether that might be, you know, Tim Slade, let's say, or Fabian or Elite Holdsworth, they just put that out of the equation and they go, right, you know, the driver needs this from the car or we're not doing that right. And uh, it doesn't mean that the driver is always right, but when you've got, new drivers to the championship um, and especially ones that are jumping in and out round to round, very hard to know what to do really. So I bet that's been a challenge, but it's just part of the stepping stone for that team. Yep. That is part of the game. That is every team in the supercars championship uh, now that we've gone through. And uh, I guess uh, the idea that Tony and I had for this as part of the parked up podcast powered by race fuels is that we just wanted to give a, I guess a bit of an update, but also, you know, a lay of the land about some of those things. So there's lots, I'm just looking at a bit of a list of the confirmed drivers. It's been a silly season. We're in the middle of the silly season. There's probably a few big turns to happen now, but uh, we hope that might've set the scene for what you might see in the news 
uh, in the coming weeks, certainly leading up towards uh, towards Christmas. Uh, yeah, Tony D, there you go. We didn't mention your name once. So you're telling me that you're not in contention for a full-time season? Oh, we, oh, I didn't say that. Didn't say that, but we oh. didn't talk about co-drivers either. So uh, well, I, who knows? We'll leave the we'll leave the co-driver episode for uh, for a little bit later a little on. A little bit later on. But Grant, we can't go anywhere just yet. We haven't spoken about your weight loss this week. No, that's right. Thank you. How's that been going? Well, it hasn't been going too bad. Maybe what we should do is get the big man, the big man himself, least Demation, on the phone. Let's grab him. So here we have it. Least Demation from Reaction Performance is on the line. And as we've discussed over the past four weeks, I've been going through a rigorous, daunting, challenging physical uh, makeover and um, and Lee and his team at uh, Reaction Performance have, have led that charge to shed some kgs. Lee, I have shed some kgs, uh, but how do you think I've been going? Mate, I think you've been doing very well. Uh, like like we said last week, you can't out, outrun a bad diet. So you've been working hard on the exercise and this last week really dialed into that uh, nutrition, getting your logging getting you understanding some of the, uh, the, the energy in energy out equation. How's that working out? Getting it's, results? Look, it's going, yeah, definitely getting results. Um, I've shared a couple and I've got a very important weigh in coming up on Saturday. So that's, yeah. um, that's make or break. I won't be able to have too many um, Melbourne cup beers. Um, otherwise I'll blow myself out. But there was one really interesting thing that you'd said and like uh, I've uh, adhered to all of the, uh, exercise stuff it was really the diet which has probably let me down certainly in the last six months but it's probably always let me down uh, really in some ways and um, as you'd instructed you'd asked me to keep a food diary and I was sort of gloating how I'd um, had a bit of a cheat night and had some ice cream in the evening now the, uh, you just asked, stop there for a second two nights in a row mate no it was two nights in a row because you'd like done some exercise and you're really happy with yourself. So you're going to reward yourself with a bloody uh, Magnum. Well, anyway, I had, the, <laughs> I, I had the ice cream and you'd asked me, did it make you feel any better? And I, no one's ever asked me mm. if ice cream made me feel better. I, like mm. ice cream always makes you feel better. But if I was really <laughs> honest with myself, it actually didn't make me feel any better. It, it, the only thing it, it, it just gave me a little bit of a, not an upset stomach, but um, I wasn't fulfilled or, or there yeah. was no nutrition value in it. it. It made me feel a little guilty as well. And I thought that that was a really interesting question to ask because, you know, it will make me think of, you know, making better choices down the track. Yeah, yeah, spot on. And, and that's the reason we like to get the, the client or yourself in this case to reflect on that because at the end of the day, it's so enticing. It's there and there for the taking. But how are you feeling? Maybe immediately or in the process, it's awesome. But then you reflect. And, and that's kind of the process we're taking it through, like the exercise. That's really the catalyst to get you thinking about healthy choices. In, enjoy the, the movement, getting active, getting, getting moving again. And then we start building on, on things like greater awareness around your, uh, around your diet. And that's a perfect example of it. I've always known that uh, Tony, you, you and I can sing to this. When you um, when you have like a, a bit of a midnight snack or a you know a, a, a nine or a ten p.m. run to Macca's, 
and you, you're desperate for that cheeseburger <laughs> and it's so tasty. But then straight afterwards, it leaves such a hollow feeling in your stomach. It does, but it, we still do it. Uh, <laughs> especially when you've had a few drinks, uh, you think it's a, a great idea. Steph and I are trying to be good at the moment and uh, it gets to probably, I don't know, 8.30, 9 o'clock. We're a little bit peckish. And we're probably used to just having a little snack on some chocolate or something. Our latest thing at the moment, though, we have a boiled egg with salt and pepper on it, though. Like That's the treat, the salt and pepper. So it's like, oh, have you boiled the eggs? No, no, I thought you were doing it. Oh, shit, we're going to have to boil some eggs. Like it, that's, that's a highlight before we go to bed. And uh, I have it and I feel good about having it, but it's like, it's still not that exciting. You know, I think I'd much rather I'd much rather an ice cream. Lee, do you have any tricks to jazz up eggs in any way? Oh, <laughs> oh there's, there's lots of things you can do with eggs. Um, uh, in, in a smoothie, something like that, that might be uh, a good option, but maybe not at that time of night. We'll have to talk, Tony. We'll have to get you back into some nutrition tracking, I think. We might be able to improve on a, on a boiled egg at midnight. <laughs> <laughs> Hey, I'm interested to get my body scan this week, though, see where I sit at the moment. Yeah, definitely. Like, you had a great result just going into Bathurst, so we need to um, uh, we need to work on, yeah, wh where we go from here and, and see how it's been since Bathurst. So, um, actually, that's the question. Are we doing Bathurst or Bathurst on, on this podcast? Bathurst. 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 <laughs> All right. <laughs> yeah, it's got, it's got double F, double F. All right. All right, Lee, this is, um, we're going to wrap up the pod now, but before we go, we should ask you for yep. your big Melbourne Cup tip. Who do you reckon is going to win the big race? The race oh, stops the nation later today. I've just had a quick scan, so we're going to go with the chosen one. Let's see Ooh. how he goes. See? How much see. money are you going to put on him? All right. <laughs> oh, 100 on the nose, I reckon. Jeez. Big spender. Yeah, well, it's got good odds. <laughs> Probably not quite that much. Perfect. Well, we'll probably put a cheeky 10 bucks, I think. I like it. There we go. The chosen one. Any, if any of our parked up uh, loyal listeners have uh, choose the chosen one because of Lee, then um, you definitely owe him a high five. All right, Lee, thanks for jumping on. Tony D, once again, great to talk to you. It was a, it was a good episode. Lots there for people to chew through. Uh, and um, as always, we'll see you next week. See you later.